At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 550th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who recognizes herbs for their many essential benefits. We're talking with Josephine DeFalco about growing herbs for health and happiness. Retired nurse and living by the Hippocratic belief that food is our best medicine, Josephine's present mission as a registered dietitian is to encourage everyone to grow their own organic, chemical-free food and develop skills for food preservation. In this way, she shares how she can be responsible for our own families, our own health, and our own well-being. She is the author of two books on gardening and food preservation, The Best Little Herb Book and The Best Little Bread Book with Flint Hills Publishing. Josephine has her own garden from the time she was five years old and has not stopped playing in the dirt since. Welcome to the show today, Joe. Are you ready to rock herbs? I am. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, Greg, for having me. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? You know, um, gardening just always seemed to be a natural thing for me. I think there's this part of me that wants to be independent and self-sufficient. So there was a little bit of a hiatus when I was in school. And once I got out of college, I put my garden in and I haven't stopped since then. So we actually have a vegetable garden and many, many fruit trees, some of which we've got from you. Oh, nice. Yeah, 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 it's great. Um, Our own little orchard. And then um, in the front, on the north side of the house, we have our herb garden. So it's a little bit cooler for the herbs um, in Arizona. Nice. So you're you're still full in and, and you have a farm somewhere. Yes, we have a traditional farm in Wisconsin. And that, that's been a real interesting experience. We leased the 80 acres to a dairy farm there. And that is very much traditional farming with the big equipment. And they come out and um, usually they just grow corn, soybeans, alfalfa. And then at at some point, I had decided that we wanted to help out organic farmers as well. So um, we had an acre of land near the the house where it had not been used for anything except grazing. And actually, it hadn't been used in the last 20 years or so. So it was perfect for an organic farmer to jump in. So we had a gentleman that has a, a company called Roots Down and they grew hemp last year. Wow. It was very interesting because this is just getting started in Wisconsin. And if, for the listeners that don't know, hemp is produced into CBD yep. for, you know, pain management and health. And so he had some of the healthiest 
I mean, we literally had a forest back there and it was all hand harvested. It was just amazing to watch the whole process. So we were really excited. He's going to grow with us again this year and we have not determined what it is he's going to be putting in. But Wow. I get the benefits from his, like if he puts out beneficial insects, they wander over to my vegetable garden. Right. So it's kind of cool that we... We work together that way. Yeah. Wow. So it, it's been really fun. Nice. Well, good for you for doing that. So you actually saw the hemp growing then? Yes. And on a breezy day, we could smell it. It had a very unique fragrance. Wow. Um, I did not find it offensive. Some people did, but. What does a hemp plant look like? It's like a short tree, I guess I would describe it as. They grow on very thick stems mm-hmm. and they, at their fullest point, I would say they were probably about six to seven feet tall. Wow. And what they harvest is the bud on the end of the flower that comes out. And that is actually where the oils are that they use for the CBD. Uh-huh. It was just fascinating watching the whole process. Wow. And one of his worst enemies was the raccoons because they would come out at night and literally pull the plants out of the ground when they were very young. Uh You know, they would just go out there and help themselves. And so at one point we had to trap the raccoons and send them elsewhere. So, but otherwise, yeah, it was really, it was a fun experience. Nice. All right. Well, we're here to talk about herbs today, traditional medicinal and culinary herbs. And I have told people for years that the simplest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy in the grocery store are herbs. So true. That's that's my reason yeah. to grow them. So tell me about why an herb garden. I originally wrote the book. I mean, I, I know why I grow herbs for myself. It's very much the same reasons that you just expressed. But I wrote the book because I want people to jump into this and succeed. I would love, you know, everyone to have their own massive vegetable garden that they rely upon for their food, but sometimes it's easier to take baby steps. And so I wrote this because it is so easy to grow herbs in Arizona. Little different experience in Wisconsin. I'm learning as I go, but they don't need much. I mean, they need a little bit of soil. It doesn't even have to be that high quality. They're not fuzzy. And we can just grow so many things here. And then if it's not their particular time of the year to be flourishing, you can preserve those herbs and that'll carry you over until it's time to grow them again. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was a great starting point for anybody that wanted to start playing in the dirt and, you know, get started doing this. So how would some one start get started in growing herbs my recommendation first would be to find an area where they're going to thrive and you know that might take some doing sometimes i've had to put the same plant into different locations to see which area will support the growth better however i'm speaking specifically in the desert environment we focus on an area that doesn't get a lot of sun mm-hmm. um, where it can retain the moisture and the the cool earth. Whereas in Wisconsin, I have to make sure they are not in the shade because they need that south sun and, and exposure to the, we don't get 110 degrees there. We get maybe a 85 degree day. So find the area where you think they're going to get adequate sun exposure for your climate. And I would say start off with plants if you're new to this. You can grow from seed, but I think plants 
are a better way to guarantee your Yeah, they're easier, I've found. Because a lot of the herb seeds, first of all, are really small. And I know that parsley Mm -hmm. parsley takes, what, 20 days to germinate or something like that? Yeah, it takes forever. It takes time. So, yeah, I wouldn't want people to be disappointed if they didn't see anything coming up right away. um, And I've never successfully, I mean, I am a seed saver, but I have never been able to save my seeds from sage. I don't seem to be able to find them. So um, the sage plant I have now, I have been probably growing about six years. And it just, I, if it gets cool, like we're, we're getting a frost, I might cover it that night. But mm-hmm. it's very hardy and has just a wonderful asset to our our garden. And so we just keep it going. So in Arizona, we could do it year round. Yeah, most herbs are pretty hardy. They are. They're not delicate at all. So, and like I say, they reseed. My basil plant has been in the same location for several years, and it just will do its own thing. It drops its seeds in the fall, and then after that, I just wait for it to pop up again in the spring. Why are herbs important to have in our gardens? Herbs are a wonderful, I mean, speaking as a dietitian, they're a wonderful substitute for adding salt to season your food. So Mm -hmm. I've actually done presentations on that. They're all low sodium and you can just even dry your own herbs and make your own seasoning mixes. So you don't have to add all that sodium to your diet. I think of my herb garden as a place where I can just meditate. Be still. Nothing is more, what's the word I want to use? It's so calming to go out there. It's like aromatherapy. Mm-hmm. When the herbs have been sprayed or they have their fresh water and the fragrances are coming out, just going out there and being quiet is a wonderful way to calm your mind after a crazy day at the office or, you know, even if you're at home, just place to retreat to. So I use it for aromatherapy and meditation. I use it for the culinary value. It's just, and even the process of working with the plants is very healing. So there are so many different aspects to it that it's just a a wonderful asset to have in your home. Nice. Well, I know in the front yard here at the urban farm, I have a oregano plant that I planted maybe 18 years ago as a four inch potted (laughs) plant. And uh, it got to be about three foot in diameter and I picked it up and moved it. And literally now it's about eight, nine foot in diameter. It's, and I, you know, I don't know what to do with it all. Any ideas? (laughs) Right. Um, the oregano, I love to dry it. I'll just grab the bunches. Actually, the springtime is the best time to do that. And when it's starting to flower, it might be summertime where, where you are, but we grab it, wash it off, put it into bunches, and then we will hang it from a string in the garage. Mm-hmm. Garage is the best place for us, and it just dries in a few days. The other thing you can do is after they're rinsed and the excess water is shaken off the branches, you can lay them out on cookie sheets and just let the leaves dry. And then I um, will take those stems, I'll roll it in newspaper or paper towels, whatever happens to be handy, and crunch up the leaves that way and store them in jars. And I've got an abundance of oregano for the whole year. Oh, yeah. I probably have an abundance of oregano for a lifetime. (laughs) I also take the fresh herbs and all. I belong to Nextdoor, the interactive group online with your neighbors. Uh Yep. And I'll I'll put a notice out there trimming the oregano or trimming the sage, you know, I've got it in a basket out front, come help yourself. 
and folks will come out there and help themselves to the herbs. And uh, we did that around Thanksgiving. I think it was the fall so that people could add the stage to their Thanksgiving dinner. That's another way to share. Nice. Well, you know, the thing I have found about herbs is once they get established, they are so prolific. The mint can be very invasive. Uh, yeah. We actually have <laughs> we have ours um, sectioned off to the side. It's between two concrete areas. So um, we don't worry too much about it getting out of control. The only problem I've had with my oregano is that there is a gopher that thoroughly enjoys my oregano plant. So wow. I've had, <laughs> I can't seem to convince him to go anywhere else. So I had to take the oregano someplace else. Mm. And um, now, now it's in a safe place and we share, but that's about the only test. And so what are your top three herbs to grow? Well, I guess you can tell by my name that I'm a pedigree Sicilian, <laughs> right. and um, I favor the Italian herbs, probably because I use them so much, but, you know, we just like them um, for their their potency. And the basil I've talked about, it just kind of reseeds itself and does its own thing, so it's always available to us, and it's wonderful in the summer with sliced tomatoes and a little bit of cheese, and just makes a delicious salad. We also have the oregano, which grows itself, as you have mentioned. Oh, yes. And then rosemary. I love rosemary because it never really dies. <laughs> I mean, you have to, you can cut it like a bush. You can let it trail. It's very easy to have fresh and always available. So in colder climates, I have had to protect the bush over the winter mm-hmm. and either bury it in straw so that it doesn't get a lot of frost damage, but it pops back up the next year. So, you know, depending on your climate, you may have to either grow in containers and bring them in for the winter or protect them from the snow and ice. Nice. And you mentioned drying them. Is that the best way to preserve herbs or is there others? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, it just depends on the plant. Now, I can give you an example like cilantro. Uh-huh. The only way I enjoy cilantro, which is abundant during the winter, it does not like the summer heat. Not it at does all. Not, um, yeah, I will only eat it fresh. The reason for that is I did some experimenting. I dried it, and it tasted completely bland to me. Mm-hmm. I froze it. I chopped it up very fine, put it into ice cube trays. And I will often freeze my herbs that way. And you can then add them as a fresh, let's say, defrost. They're, they're in a fresh state when you add them to the food. But it tasted like grass to me. Mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just decided cilantro was not one of those herbs that could be preserved. Now, the seed from the cilantro, the coriander, is wonderful. So if you want to wait until they form seeds and grind those up, it's going to give you a different kind of flavor. But it will... Also, you know, be a wonderful way to enhance your Mexican food, especially. Right. But the parsley, the rosemary, the oregano, all those, I will chop them up fresh, put them into little ice cube trays, and and when they're frozen, pop those into plastic bags, and they keep for several months that way. Wow. So harvest it, cut it up, and do you add water to the ice cube trays, or you just put it straight in the ice cube trays? Usually there's enough moisture on the leaves that I can just pack it in mm-hmm. and, you know, it will form that little block. But I I feel like that, you know, the water would kind of, you don't want to freeze food with a lot yeah. of fluids in it. So. Yeah. One of the things I've done with cilantro, because 
So this is cilantro does well in cool weather. So when she said mm-hmm. winter, she meant winter in Arizona. And one of the mm-hmm. things, and cilantro grows wild here in the yard at the urban farm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've done is I run it through the food processor and then yes. freeze it. I didn't think about putting them in, in ice cube trays, but that would work re- really well too, is if you food process it and then put it in the ice cube trays and that could be right. really great. Yeah. The other thing I've done um, is I bought a used coffee grinder at the thrift store. Uh And so, like, I like to take my rosemary. Of course, it's chopped up and dried, and it's wonderful to add as it is. But I like to grind it up into a powder, and I use a coffee grinder dedicated just to the herbs. So I will get, like, the oregano, whatever I want, if I want to make a powder. And then um, I have that form, too. Yeah. When there's the amount of oregano that I can just, you know, look out my front door at is I could probably harvest a hundred pounds of ground oregano and just in a food processor, that works really well too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's, yeah, it, it's actually a product that is very easy to preserve. Nice. So you're a, a resident of Arizona for part of the year and Jan- mm-hmm. Janice told me that you help some Sun City gardeners. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yes, there is a thriving gardening organization out in Sun City. The name escapes me now, but they had asked for a dietitian to come out and speak to them about diet and, you know, something related to gardening. And I ended up focusing on the value of using herbs instead of salt to enhance your, your food and your cooking, uh-huh. simply because older folks, of which I'm a generation now of that, we have a tendency to have high blood pressure and heart disease and other arterial diseases. And so eating, number one, something fresh, healthy, and chemical-free that you grow in your backyard is is a good step. Um, Number two, reducing your sodium intake to keep your blood pressure down. And I'm not sure a lot of people understand the concept behind that. The, The sodium ends up making you retain fluid. The more fluids you retain, the more your blood pressure is going to go up. So if there was some way of getting around that where we don't have to hold on to those fluids, then we don't have the problem with the heart being stressed. But by cutting back on the sodium, I mean, I have a list on my website if anybody wants to go to it later on. It's a list of low-sodium herbs to grow. And one teaspoon of salt has over 2,300 milligrams of sodium in it. Wow. And uh, four cloves of garlic have 11 milligrams. Oh, um, wow. a ta- <laughs> I know. A, a sage, one tablespoon has zero milligrams. So it's a wonderful way to reduce your sodium intake. And then once you start that, if you do have something that's salty afterwards, it doesn't taste right to you. So you get accustomed to not having those really high salty processed foods and, you know, diet changes for the better. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And so you've written two books. Tell us about your two books. The first book I wrote was The Best Little Bread Book. And that happened because we decided to grow wheat in our backyard. Really? Um, we Yes. <laughs> we have an acre of land in Arizona. And I am of the mind that if it doesn't feed me, I really don't want to water it. Yep. So we took a big chunk of our backyard and we put in Sonoran wheat. And it made the most amazing flour. We had to get a 
grinder and we tried it by hand. It was very challenging. Yeah. So we actually bought an electric grinder. It made great biceps. I mean, after a while, but it was kind of frustrating. So we went to electric and started making our own whole wheat. And out of that came the idea to start making our own bread on a regular basis. And it, we used the bread machine as well as doing it by hand. There's a trick to the ratio of whole wheat flour to white flour because you want to be able to get that leavening action where the, the bread will rise and not be very heavy. My husband prefers to do his by hand and he uses the whole wheat. I mean, he will actually make his product out of nearly 100% whole wheat bread. Wow. So, uh, or flour, excuse me. So I prefer the machine. I make the dough in the machine and then I shape it by hand. And I the book contains all the recipes, the basic recipe that I use, and then how to dip, do different different styles of bread. So it's really been a, a fun experience because we've had to learn a lot about the science of bread baking. Right. And it's not hard to do. Don't don't misunderstand me. Anybody can do it with basic ingredients, but you just have to have that ratio because the gluten in the white flour is very important to getting that rise on the bread. Awesome. So that's your bread book, and then you have an herb book? Yep. The Bethel Herb Book was the, the second one I wrote. and Again, it was primarily written for people that want to jump into gardening that hadn't, haven't ever grown anything before. The ones that say to me, oh, I've got a black thumb. Right. No, you don't. Yep. You can grow something. Don't be afraid to try. And that's what this was for, is to teach people how to just jump in and get started. Nice. And you have a special offer for our listeners. I do. Um, if they go to my website, which is josephinedefalco.com, go to my email. There's a contact section there on the website. For three people that say to me, I want a copy of your herb book, I will be happy to mail that to you. Nice. That is awfully generous of you. Thanks for doing that. My pleasure. So I'm going to shift on you. And I would like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. I'm going to give you a little bit of a sideways answer on that, but but stay with me on this little story. All right. When I was a little kid, we had a cabin up in the mountains, and that cabin was my happy place. I loved it there because the family would gather. We had a lot of fun together. But then when I was in college, my parents sold it without giving me any warning, and I was absolutely crushed, and uh-huh. I was angry. Uh-huh. So I promised myself one day I was going to get that cabin back. And 20 years later, I did. I found the land. I designed the building. I built it. was so excited about sharing with my family what had been important to me. Only I found myself there by myself all the time. My husband is a workaholic. My children had their own lives. When they had their children, it was just a big hassle. And so I finally sold the cabin after 20 years. Mm. So I was angry again. And what I came to realize is that I can't force my dreams on other people. What I want out of life might not be what they want out of life. And I had to accept that I was holding on to those dreams for my family when they didn't, it didn't matter to anybody but me. Right. So I have to say what I learned from that was that it's important to allow others to have their own dreams in life and to support them for that and that I couldn't force my own wishes on anybody else. It just wasn't right. Yeah. Wow, that's huge. So that was a huge lesson, and it took me a long time to figure it out. 
I still ache for my home and, and what it had meant to me back then, but it's nice to see everybody achieving their own goals in life. And, and I, I want to be there to help them. Yeah. So yeah, that was a biggie. Wow. Good for you for getting that. And what do you consider your biggest success? Hands down, that has to be my education. I was the first one in, in my family to ever go to college. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a big emphasis in my family. And I earned two degrees in the healthcare field, one in my 20s and one in my 40s. <laughs> oh, so, good for you. Yeah. And then I went on and I became a, a certified EMT. I volunteered with that for quite a while. And I think the most important thing about education is that it can take you into worlds that you never even knew existed. It just enhances your life in so many ways. And then you can help other people with what you've learned. Yeah. So it's just been, it's been the most important thing in my life. It really has. Nice. Yeah. I went to my, my first time at Arizona State University in 1981. I flunked out. I got a uh, two, two D's and an F. I hated it with a passion. <laughs> oh. But I never stopped taking classes. Every time I was interested in something, I went to Phoenix College and I took a class. And I decided, I let my mom and a professor from Phoenix College in 1999 convince me to go back to college. And when I ended up back at ASU to take my classes, I actually had accumulated 127 credit hours. <laughs> on just, wow. Yeah, on just things that I, because I, every time I was interested in learning something, I would go to Phoenix College. And I would take a class Mm -hmm. on wastewater management or solar energy or how to run a small business or writing, right? right? And so I hear you. I hear you. What was your, uh, in your 40s, because I went back when I was 40. Uh, What was your in your 40s degree? Nursing. Oh, very good. That's when I became a nurse. I I became a dietitian in my 20s. And then it it wasn't, I I love dietetics, but I wanted to know about the whole body. Kind of like what, what you did. So I branched out into nursing and then I still wasn't satisfied and I wanted to get in on the emergency end of, of healthcare. So mm-hmm. I became an EMT. You know, interest, so, um, interestingly, that is something at 58 years old, I've been pondering for the past three years is actually, oh, yeah, it's, is actually getting an emergency, uh, not a, you know, I haven't dug real deep into it, but that's, that fascinates mm-hmm. me for times when, yeah. you know, an emergency shows up and what do you do? Right, right. And yeah. there have been experiences where I have had to do that as a layperson um, and was glad that I had that knowledge to do it. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think anybody and everybody, in fact, learning first aid and learning CPR is probably the most important thing you can do for yeah. your community. Yeah. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Cool. And what drives you? <laughs> I'm one of those those people that's blessed with determination. Once I, my husband says I'm just being stubborn, but I don't care what you call it. I don't quit until I get what I'm after. (laughs) Right. I I think, but you know, I don't want to say that I just willy nilly go around with these new projects, but what I'll do is if I have an interest in something, I will go to the experts first and I'll find out what it takes to expand my knowledge in that area or obtain that goal. And then I have to weigh, is it valuable to me? Is it something that is going to be worth the struggle? Because, you know, going back to school in your 40s and getting a nursing degree, yeah, that's that's a challenge. Right. And it doesn't happen overnight. And so whatever it is, I, I really weigh it out heavily for quite a while 
And then when I make up my mind, I might decide, okay, no, it's just not worth it. I don't want to pursue this. But if I do say, yeah, I want to go after this, then that's the only thing that matters is getting to the end of that goal. Yeah. A lot of that's really come into play with the, the writing. And when I decide I want to start a book, I just don't stop until it's done. Yeah. So, and it's like that with anything in life. If you really, really want it, you can do it. Yeah. Excellent. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Okay. Um, I gave that quite a bit of thought and I really feel like it. I have to say The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Oh, yes. That is a delightful um, There book. are so many, so many messages in there. And I didn't pick it because of the gardening aspect. I just feel like we forget how to play when we're adults. Yeah. And, and here's the story of this little boy who is so happy when he's playing, but then all of a sudden he's burdened with all the responsibilities of being a grown-up, you know, other things get in the way. And the tree itself, it, it's just a lesson for humanity. It, it, it's everything we should do, generosity, kindness, selflessness. There's a lot of ways to read into the story. And, and it, of course, it's not everybody's favorite, but those are the things I get out of it. I even found it on YouTube. You, it will YouTube will read the book to you. So really? when I'm feeling like, yes, when I feel like I need that little boost, it takes five minutes to go on YouTube and have them read that book to me. And then I go on again and I remember what life is really, you know, what's important. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I, I think that that's going to go back to what we've already touched on, which is, I have always believed that you have to be responsible for your own well-being. And that can be your physical well-being, your emotional well-being. When we experienced this whole thing with the COVID virus, I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, they they didn't have the means to take care of themselves. Even if it's just like for a month or so, do you have the food in your house? Do you have adequate water? Are, are your children going to be taken care of? All those things are, are something I think we take for granted sometimes. Yeah. And I, I just think by being responsible for yourself and your family, you, you really um, don't become a burden that way to society. And then the second thing is once you've obtained that skill of taking care of yourself and your family, Learn to branch out to your community. You know, how can you be an asset to them? And we had talked about the first aid, the CPR, sharing the bounty from our garden. Maybe you've got a lot of something you can share. Take it to a food bank. You know, I used that opportunity. I had tomatoes coming out of my ears one year. And I went to the food bank. And while I was there, I would talk to people about nutrition related to these beautiful fresh tomatoes. So that way I was helping the community as well as as helping myself uh, find a home for these tomatoes. So really important to be responsible for yourself and and, and support your community. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Joe. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You bet. You did great. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Probably the easiest way would be to go to my website and go to the section. There's like a contact form. You can 
write to me there and I will get right back to you. Perfect. And the website is? Josephine DeFalco, that's D-E-F, like in Frank, A-L-C-O, dot com. Excellent. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Josephine DeFalco. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.